warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Episode 9 of the Real Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies with Scott and Tony. Good morning, mate. Good morning. We're here again. Yes, this is becoming a regular occurrence. I know. We're actually um, <laughs> making an effort. We're obviously enjoying <laughs> it. Yeah, we yeah. <laughs> um, Just off the back of recording the the ill-fated Doctor No episode, which mm. successfully went out along with the, the Rainbow Valley documentary so two episodes in in sort of quick succession there to make up for the the hiatus we had over the christmas period yeah it took about two and a half months it so did we got there in the end hopefully not this is not gonna 30 minutes of recording <laughs> yeah we didn't <laughs> talk for very long did no, we? No. <laughs> oh dear um have you been getting any feedback from anybody that's listening so i know you don't actually listen to the show itself do you i believe it or not when i said last time that my missus doesn't listen yeah she actually did listen to it what, for the first time? For the first time. What one did she listen to? She didn't say what one, but she said she liked it. Oh. Yeah. I know. She said it sounds very professional. Well, I should hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, I sort of switched off. But I should have asked, really. I should have been a bit more in-depth with her and yeah, asked well, what one she listened to. I wonder if it's one that we've recorded here together I in think... the Band Band Studios or on Skype. Well... Considering she was talking about a boat, I'm I'm thinking it's night a to night remember. to remember. Which you did here, because mm. we had it playing in the background on the we TV, did. didn't we? Excellent. So, oh, well, that's one more listener. Yes. Up to two. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's go straight into today's. Today's is your choice. Let's play the trailer. It's What have you chosen? Brief Encounter for 1945. Okay, let's play the trailer. We'll be back after this. until a few weeks ago. This is my whole world. And it's enough. Or rather, it was until a few weeks ago. Can I help you? Uh, oh, no, please, it's only something in my eye. Try pulling your eyelid down as far as it'll go. And then blowing your nose. Please let me look. I happen to be a doctor. That's very kind of you. Oh, turn around to the light, please. That's how it all began. Just through me getting a little piece of grit in my eye. Are you going to pictures this afternoon? Yes. How extraordinary, so am I. I thought you had to be all day at the hospital. Well, between ourselves, I killed two patients by accident this morning, and the matron's very displeased with me. I, I simply don't go back. But she like your wife. 
Madeline? Small, dark, rather delicate. How funny, I just thought she would have been fair. And your husband, what's he like? Medium height, brown hair, kindly, unemotional, but not delicate at all. We're neither of us free to love each other. There's too much in the way. There's still time. If we control ourselves, and behave like sensible human beings, there's still time. I'm an ordinary woman. I didn't think such violent things could happen to ordinary people. Give us a kiss. Oh, do no such thing. The lady might see us. Come on, a quick one across the bar. Albert, stop it. Come on, there's a lot. Let go of me this minute. There's a Albert! Now look at me, Banbury's all over the floor. I want you to promise me something. What is it? Promise me that however unhappy you are, and however much you think things over, that you meet me again next Thursday. Well. Outside the hospital at 12.30. All right, I promise. Briefing Cancer, released in the UK, Tony, on the 26th of November 1945, directed by David Lean, starring Celia Johnson, Trevor Howard, Stanley Holloway. Synopsis, please. Meeting a stranger in a railway station, a woman is tempted to cheat on her husband. Why are IMDb synopsis so shit? <laughs> yeah, they don't like giving a lot of weight, do they? Not at all. There's other sites that are not so reliable as INDB, but they've got a synopsis that's like three pages long. Yeah, which is too long for yeah. what we want. But then this is a bit too short, isn't it? How would you describe the story? Then? Oh. It's first um, time watch for you, isn't it? Yeah, never watched it before, ever. One of the classicest of classic films. God, what is the story? There's more than just a, a woman tempted to cheat here, isn't there? Well, there's a lady that goes to Milford Junction every Thursday. Uh, to do her shopping. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit more in depth, isn't it? Yeah, go on. <laughs> and um, she gets a bit of ash in her eye. She's in a train station. Obviously, this is back in the times where it was coal-powered trains. Yes. Steam-powered. Mm. She gets a bit of um, clinker in her eye. Mm-hmm. You like clinker. <laughs> Wasn't clinker great, great big lumps? <laughs> <laughs> she had a bit of ash. A bit, a bit of, of dust ash, in her eye. dust, yeah. And... Um, she goes into the refreshment room at the train station and asks for a glass of water to wash her eye out with. Because <laughs> I wash stations weren't mandatory back in the day. No, of course they weren't. No first aid kits or nothing, nothing, like, nothing that. like that. And, but but uh, they did come with their designated, very handy on-the-spot doctor. Yes. <laughs> yeah, who just happened to be there. And he comes in, and this is what makes me cringe. She opens her eye, and he gets a bit of cloth out of his pocket yep. and wipes her eye. Yes. Um, which looks incredibly painful. And she doesn't even flinch. Yep. Um, and that's what starts this little romantic get-together. Exactly. Every Thursday. It's 
possibly the most British of British films. It's very British, isn't it? I mean, this when we started the the podcast, and we, you know, it's become a very British podcast about very British movies. This is the epitome of what a British drama romance mm. actually is. Brief. I was going to say brief impressions. Then you. you <laughs> Give us a, your initial reaction to the film because it's something that you probably would not normally choose to watch. Oh, it was my first impressions when she was going through all them sort of things in her head. Yeah, she's a very poorly lady, right? Um, very troubled over this, and she's okay. just very miserable in her life. Yeah, um, and I've got the same sort of thing from him when you start getting a bit of background story about him. Yeah. Um, you can tell the people in the refreshment room and all the other people, the extras, they're actors, because I don't think anyone would have spoke like that back then. Not the blue-collar workers, I don't think they're... Well, the standing holiday, people like that. Yeah, they're very, very well-spoken. But then you get the two soldiers that come in later on, ah. and they speak like I would sort of imagine to back then. Yeah, but the way I I sort of think of it is, is that... Um, Joyce Carey, who plays Myrtle, the lady that runs the refreshment room, she has these sort of like... Um, she's very much Mrs. Bouquet. Yeah, she has these sort of delusions of grandeur sort of thing because yeah. she's got this, in her mind, it's a position of importance that, yeah, you know, they're in the refreshment room and, you know... Every now and then she slips out. Yeah, exactly. And, and she is at the same level as Stanley Holloway, who again has got this sense of importance. You know, it's my railway, even though he's only a ticket inspector, you know, and what he says goes sort of thing. Yeah. Um... It's probably about the third or fourth time I've seen it. We reviewed it for The Stinking Paws last year. Mm. And again, Charlie had never seen it, and, and he absolutely loved it. Just again, going back to your first thoughts, all right, it's not a sort of style or genre of movie that you'd normally pick. I mean, you do like your comedies, you do like your war films. Mm. Did you enjoy it? I did. I did enjoy it. Good. I thought it was a very, very well-constructed film. It should be, because it was written by Noel Coward. Now, Noel Coward, famous playwright, actor, performer. Homosexual. You... <laughs> <laughs> that as well. <laughs> you probably know him as uh, Mr. Bridger. Mr. Bridger from The Italian in Job. In The Italian Job. And a very brief connection to Dr. No. He was, he was best friends with Ian Fleming. Mm. And Fleming actually suggested him for the part of Doctor for the part of Doctor No in the movie, the villain. Oh god. Yeah, can you imagine that? If Noel Coward is not of his metal hands. <laughs> <laughs> but the original play was quite a short play. It was from this season that he did called Tonight at eight thirty. And it was it was only set in the in the in the refreshment room in the cafe. Mm. And it was just the two characters and just this brief interaction with other people. It wasn't a, like a major sort of um, grander scale that we see in the movie. And I don't think that it comes across as a stage play at all. No. Because when we get the interaction with the husband, who is the most... Poor, poor Sog gets caught up there. Like, he's the most innocent character in the whole thing. And he's oh, the one... Fred. Yeah. Yeah. There he is, you know, he's there providing for his wife and his family and They're obviously quite well off. They've got a they've got a servant. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and he comes home from night and just wants to do his Times crossword and everything's yeah. good in the world. She's and... running around with checkbook paying for things that way. Exactly. Yeah. And and she can be quite 
deceitful, you yeah. know, as this thing develops, you know, yeah, she bringing re- her friends and asking her getting involved alive, making and, alibis up and yeah. stuff like that. But it's all done in a very British way. Mm. It's not too scan. Well, at the time, it must have been really. Scandalous. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It sort of comes across it as like the the crime of the century back then, just for. Well, they might have done more, we don't know. But all we see is they kissed each other a few times and went for meals. And lots stuff. of meals, lots of cinema visits. Which nowadays is quite innocent, really. Exactly, exactly. But back then, that must have been like the scandal of the century. You think about it as well. When was this made? 1945. So, yeah. you know, November 45. The war had been over a few months. So about this sort of time, women were just getting used to a life when the men weren't about as mm. well. You think about it, they were returning from the war. They'd been working, doing the jobs that their husbands were doing and stuff like that. The world was turning completely on its head, you know. Mm. And I'll tell you what we also get a sense of as well is that rationing and stuff like that is still in place. Yeah. You know, where's the sugar? Oh, it's in the spoon. It's in the spoon. <laughs> <laughs> I loved little things like that, though. Um, you know, we said before... One of my favourite things about, you know, watching these old movies is, is looking in the background at sort of locations and cars the props and, and, the props and things like that. Obviously, I am older than you, but I can't go back to 1945. I promise you I'm not that old. <laughs> but I just love the things for like, because it was set at a train station, the posters yeah. in the background, and you had things like Watney's Brown Ale and Bovril and, you know, all those sort of things, you know. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Come on, tell us what you loved about it. It was just, like I said, it was very, very well put together. Um, you liked the look of it, so the direction of it. Yeah. David Lean was the director, as we know. He did some quite different things, didn't he, in, in sort of visually. Like, yeah, it was very cleverly put together like it was just her dream there. She was daydreaming, wasn't she? There was a couple of like dream sequences, yeah, which I'd forgotten about, actually. Yeah. Which at the time, I think that was quite a brave thing to do, really. Yeah. Because there's the most recent film I've watched, and it sort of there's cutaways like that, and it sort of goes back through people's minds and stuff, and some different angles. He's yeah. um, Dunkirk, and I don't think he really worked very well in that. Is there sort of, that sort of sequence in Dunkirk as well? Then I can't remember. Well, it's one minute. It's in the eyes of the person driving a little boat, saying yeah. a little boat across, and then it's in um, Tom Hardy's eyes, oh. the pilot. And at the very end of the film, it all comes together. It all yeah, because it plays with different timelines. Yeah, it? so it's, it's a very all... different time. It didn't really work true. in that, but in this, it worked really well. Yeah. Um, well, quite surprisingly, the film starts at the end. Yeah. Which is probably the only connection it's got to Pulp Fiction that I can think of. <laughs> and, um, it, and you can see at the very... Set in the cafe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of it, it's filmed in a completely different way. It's filmed from a different view. Yeah, it's exactly the same as the start. I've not shot it twice. Yes. Well, yeah, it was two cameras. Yeah, and, and the thing about that entire sequence, at the beginning, it starts off Stanley Holloway and Myrtle... Um, Joyce Joyce Carey mm. and it focuses on them you know their conversation about you know can I have another cup of tea Myrtle you eat your turn you know and all that sort yeah, of thing yeah. and the camera slowly pans around among you know throughout this crowded cafe and sort of zooms in on these two on these two people just sitting there having a conversation you yeah. know and if that was any other film you'd, they're just two people in the background and then the friend comes in interrupts oh, their conversation god 
Right. But we don't know we don't know what's been going on because this is the beginning of the movie. All I know is that friend was really annoying. Yeah. And I'm glad that she bought it up in fact on the train. <laughs> yeah, she did. <laughs> She's daydreaming on the train. But the thing about that sequence is as Trevor Howard gets up to go away, it's just that one gesture, that squeeze of her shoulder. That was it. And then off he goes. Never and then you see it. her run out. Yeah. And then come back in. And then at the end of it, we... It all gets explained. Yeah, she run out to actually jump in front of the train. Yeah. But also, that, that squeeze of the shoulder means so much more. Yeah. It's, it's, it is it's the last goodbye. Mm. In one small gesture, you know, it's just... Well, they didn't have any other way because of that lady being Exactly. Like they couldn't... Heartbreaking, isn't it? When you to. think that, that, that just one small gesture could mean so much... But that's what it gets you at the end because at the start of the movie, it's the, the annoying friend looks around and she's not there anymore. And yeah. Says, oh, I had to go and see the express train go through. I need a bit of air. But then you it. find out why at the then end. Then, yeah, at the very, very end, it's, I was going to do it. But I couldn't. I wasn't brave enough. Yeah. Wow. How selfish is that, though? You know, when she's got a husband who's done no yeah. wrong, she's got the two young kids. That's what she said. I wasn't thinking of my husband. I wasn't yeah. thinking of my children. Whoa. It's a bit dark towards the end. You saying about. Um, sort of visually how it looks because it was initially based on a stage production it's great the way that um, they take it out of the station not just to the house but to the you know that lovely village is, I think is Denham where Elstree or one of the studios was or Pinewood you know it's near there um, but then you've got things like the boating lake and the bridge yeah and all of that lot. and you think oh blimey he's actually you know the location scouts at the time have really done their job well here mm. it's, it's remarkable you know that this is 1945 and, and the war's only been over six months yeah it was, um, there's a lot of travelling around you don't sort of see it as a war torn town do you it's um, yeah it's obviously it's moved suburbs, on very quickly it? yeah it's the suburbs isn't it yeah. you know, obviously it's, but yeah it was a case it's a classic case of the British you know get up and go and let's make the make the most of what we've got they've obviously gone through six years of torture and torment mm. and things are things are really picking up if we were to watch a different film from this era it would show a different side you know there's a lot of the Ealing stuff that is set in central London after the Blitz and it's just you know all the bomb sites and stuff like that but I just love the look of the film David Lean is one of my favourite directors about this sort of time there was a lot of sort of did a couple of war films did a lot of stuff with John Mills Famous for the Dickens stuff, like Great Expectations, he did the adaptation of that, and then went on to do the big sweeping epics, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, Dr. Zhivago, that mm. sort of thing. Have you seen any of those? Uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. You've seen Bridge on the River Kwai, yeah. yeah. What about the Dickens stuff? Possibly, no. No, no I might have, but I can't. That's not your cup of tea, though, is it? The Dickens stuff? We had this conversation before, didn't we? Was it no, Dickens or Agatha Christie, wasn't it? No, it's not really my scene. Not I'm more comedy yeah. person. But then again, I'll say I'm more a comedy person, and I'm starting to like stuff like this now. Yeah, so, I, I think you'd like something like Great Expectations with, with John Mills and Alec Guinness. We're a banquet. Yeah, we'll save that. I won't surprise you with it just yet. <laughs> we know what we're doing next week, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, no. Come on. <laughs> Talk to me about Brief Encounter, Tony. Come on. Well, it's, they've got the two terrible children actors in it that are um, from A Night to Remember. No, uh, they weren't as bad as the kid in Night to Remember. <laughs> they still weren't great. The, the waking child, the zombie child from Night to Remember. Yeah. <laughs> We keep staring at the camera while he's talking to his mother. 
They were they were very posh as well, those kids. It's all very posh, isn't it's it? It's all very clipped. I don't think there was a Cockney accent. Even Burial, remember? <laughs> the young girl that works in the, yeah. in the calf, Burial. Um, even she had a very clipped That's just what I'd say. British they're, accent. They're all very, very well spoken. I can understand um, her, the... <laughs> oh, what the the woman that runs the calf? No, no, Senior Johnson's character. Yeah, yeah. I can Laura. understand Laura, Laura, Laura. I can understand her being very well spoken and her husband, and obviously the doctor. I understand him being very well spoken. Yeah, because it'd have been a yeah that that sort of professional. Profession, yeah. yeah, but like I say, the people in the calf, Stanley Holloway speaking quite well. There's obviously a lot of the time you let his guard. Down, you can under yeah, you can hear it underneath, can't you? Um, the lady in the calf, like we said. Delusions of grandeur, hyacinth bouquet. Yeah, hyacinth bouquet yeah. all the way. But everyone is just very well spoken, and I, I thought probably because hey, it's a Noel Coward yeah. adaptation, and he had the most English of English accents. I think the most convincing ones are the two soldiers that come in. Yeah, but, but that's the thing. I think because the setting is is like the home counties, the suburbs. It's out of you know sort of the East End. It's out of London. There is that element that the you know there's going to have this sort of gentrified nature to it, this educated sort of side. And the soldiers are just passing through, obviously. Yeah. So Yeah. Very being a train station. Very, very British movie. Very British. Anything else apart from the kids? I think just more on the Latin grid. Sometimes it was a bit hard to follow when they were doing their dialogues over the um the actual um, film. When she was doing the, the talking over the scenes, yeah, it was sometimes very difficult to follow with some of the things she was coming out with. And I'm, I'm um, quite well off in that sort of. Thing. I can mm. understand very well to do people, yeah, uh, but I was struggling a bit of it. Well, just because of the you, you couldn't understand what she was saying because well, it's of the, the way she was constructing <laughs> sentences, clipped and precise. And yes, yes. yes. there's this unnecessary words in there. Yeah, there's there's a bit in her autobiography. Um, I think she wrote in a diary that she hated filming those scenes where she's doing the the monologue over the top. She's doing the thinking bit mm. because she said it's really difficult. She says because I've got a script in my head that I'm not actually speaking, mm. and my face has got to reflect what that script is. Yeah, and she she used to hate those days. She played it very well. She just looked like a very very poorly person. He looked she, in them eyes. Yeah. But is is that supposed to be, or is that just the way that she looked in real life? I don't know. I think that's probably the way she was meant to. You think she's this? she is this frail, weak character then? That's yeah, quite vulnerable. Very, very vulnerable. Yeah. But then the doctor says that, doesn't he? At the start of it, you're vulnerable. That's an interesting way of looking at it, you know, because are they both looking out for a little bit of excitement in their dull... Yeah. Drudgery of their lives, sort of thing. Well, it does look a bit dull, doesn't it? When she goes home and Fred's there doing, doing, doing his crossword, and everything's done. Yeah. yeah, dinner's done for her, and oh, she, what she kids do? are in bed. You yeah. know, it's all. And yeah. she drinks a lot as well. Yeah. Well, this is why she probably goes out every Thursday. She goes to the goes to the pictures every Thursday. Does her shopping. That's a yeah. bit of excitement for the week, isn't it? Because there is nothing else to her life by the sound of it. You know. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I never never thought of her as being like an ill woman. Yeah, yeah. she just looks very unwell, emotionally Okay. Unwell. <laughs> One of my favourite stories about this, this film, I'm sure we recounted this when we did The Stinking Paws, 
uh, if not I've certainly told Charlie, Great Expectations, which they filmed um, after this, David Lee made after this, uh, was being filmed locally here, mm. uh, down in Rochester. Okay. And what they did, they had a print of Brief Encounter ready at the time. So they thought they'd test it out at the Rochester Odeon. Okay. Which is no longer there. It's an old people's home now. Mm. I mean, I remember it. I saw Star Wars there. That's, you know, it, it went early 80s. But because Rochester, Chatham, you know, all around here, the Medway Towns, is, is sort of like a naval dockyard, it, was, it wasn't quite ready for Brief Encounter because apparently they put it on as a special preview. And within the first couple of minutes, somebody started laughing. They misjudged the tone of it. And then the whole audience started laughing. And it got a very bad reaction from the local crowd here. Yeah. (laughs) And and as Charlie said, when I mentioned it to him, he said, well, that's just typical of this town. We can't have nothing nice. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. The Medway Towns was a very sort of blue-collar area, wasn't it? It was, until the dockyard closed, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they were ready for this type of movie. No, <laughs> no, definitely. Not. Certainly, the blokes weren't anyway. You know? It's a very sort of comedy area. It is. It is. It's, it's not your. Uh... This is. It's quite intense film actually. When you when you sit here and look at this, it's actually quite an intense thing to watch. It's, is it? It's two it's... people's lives being destroyed because they can't be together. Well, it's more than come. more than two people's, you know. Because if you look, well, yeah, the kids and the husbands and the other wife and. It's everything, just for the sake of a little bit of adventure. Yeah. The story's been done since in thousands of other films Mm. in different ways. But this one, I think, just tells it simply. Yeah. Very Britishly, if that is a word. You know, it is the quintessential British drama, romance. Which I don't think would work if you used to do it today. Because today's standards, that's nothing. Yeah, has been remade. I think they remade it in the 70s and it just didn't work. No. Because things have moved um, on so far. Yeah. It's always oh, certainly a, a 1945 film and it will stay a 1945 yeah. film. Yeah. You know, it could, probably could have carried on through the 50s to a certain degree if there was to be made then, but... I think nowadays it would be sexed in the face time. Yeah, yeah it would be completely... Well, it just wouldn't work at all. There's just no way. Yeah. And, and looking back, I mean, I could imagine if you weren't prepared for this movie, it is quite laughable looking back at the manners... Mm. and the attitudes but I love the stuff like that I love the fact that it is so different now yeah and and this is why we go back to these old movies to not just look at the backgrounds of the cars and and, and the actors and the dress styles and the fashions and stuff like that it's just the whole package yeah it it, it did make me think very briefly that I was sitting there watching the film on the iPad in my lounge pants and a big (laughs) t-shirt And they're sitting there in the evening with their radio on in the background. Yeah. Massive big old radio. He's in a full three-piece suit. Exactly. Smoking a pipe. Smoking a pipe. Doing his crossword. And I'm sitting there in lounge pants and a pair of family guy slippers. Well, even going back, (laughs) you know, when this film was shown at the cinemas, you know, you'd have gone there because it would have been your week's entertainment and it Mm. would have been one of a double bill at the very least with a newsreel and possibly a cartoon and the organ the organist playing yeah, in the, the cinema you know sitting downstairs because it's cheaper yes in the balcony yeah do you know what I don't think I told you when I went to see Dunkirk talking to Dunkirk earlier I saw it at the Empire Le- the Empire Leicester Square the Odeon Leicester Square as it is now and I was in the balcony 
Mm. And because I went to this special screening for the first week of opening, they've still got the organ there. Oh, right. And they paid a guy, they paid the organist to come and do 20 minutes at the beginning oh. before Dunkirk. It was fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. They don't do it very often, but... Uh, yeah, they're, they're renovating the Odeon Leicester Square at the moment. I hope they keep all of that sort of element to it, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, things like that, you know, it was it was the weekly... It's a big thing. Yeah, right right the way through, yeah, even even through the 60s, you know, that was your entertainment. So. Yeah, and nowadays we just sit indoors and watch it on In your iPad. lounge pants watching it on an iPad. Yeah. That, that amazes me that you can sit and watch a film on such a small screen as well. Well... Do you get the full benefit of it? I think this one's okay. I think it depends on the film. Yeah. It I really mean, does depend. I've got a bunch of big teddies and stuff, so yeah. I can watch it on there. If we were to pick, say, Bridge on the River Choir... I'd watch it on a big telly. I would get you over here and watch it on the projector. Yeah. Actually, because there's certain films. Lawrence of Arabia is a prime example. I can't even watch that on my projector. I watch that once a year at the cinema when it's shown. Yeah, so films were made to be seen on the big screen. That was what they were designed for. One I'd love to see on your big screen is mm. the Italian Job. Okay, that, that that's a date. one I've got to watch. Yeah, I've seen it on the projector here a couple of Christmases ago. I put it on. Yeah, I should think that's pretty good. It is. It is hilarious to watch it in a big. It's, you know, it's sitting in the dark in this room, especially the opening when you've got Matt Monroe. Oh, Another God. one to check out. Those on the Rainbow Valley Podcast. Rainbow Valley Podcast. <laughs> I like having you here plugging my other show. <laughs> <laughs> so, but again, this has got a great opening to it as well. Like I say, it's the, the end. The end yeah. is the beginning. I mean, even the main titles at the start great. You know it's going to be a good film when all the credits are at the beginning. Because <laughs> you, <laughs> you know it's been made properly. And the music as well, like... The, there was no real score. What they they lifted Rachmaninoff's piano concerto number two, I think. Yeah. Did you notice? I, I mean, it still surprises me every time when you hear certain strains of that music in 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 the in the film. Do you know what that music was actually adapted into into a, into actually a pop hit of the seventies? No. All by myself by Eric Carmen. Oh, right. Okay. Take a listen. What I might do is actually put a little bit of a comparison of the music at this point here. Mm. So people can just compare it. But yeah, the the actual tune from this piece of music in the movie yeah. was was used by Eric Carmen. I think it's Eric Carmen all by myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we'll have a listen. Friends have known, but when. 
When I dial the telephone Nobody's home Okay, so overall then, we don't normally score movies, but I can tell you like this one. Mm. If we were doing the five-star rating, what would it get? I'd give it a five. We would? I would give it a five, straight up, give it a five. First time I watched it, I'd love to watch it again. Um, yeah, quite a central British film. Yeah, it's a five-star movie for me. I'm glad you picked it. I think mean, was there any particular reason you chose it? Or was it just like it was on your list of things that you were sort of looking through and thought, well, I recognise that. Yeah, it's ones I've heard of, but I've never watched. Okay. I wanted to sort of um, broaden my horizons and try and stay clear of Excellent. what I'm used to. Put myself in a bit of a an uncomfortable area of film for me. Like, I've never seen it, so I'm gonna have to properly watch it. And it worked out okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a very good like, well, night to remember. And yeah, yeah. again, another film. I've, obviously, I've seen Titanic and it's yeah. shit, but a night to remember, really good. Right. That in that case, now I know, as the you know, as the show's developing now, that you're open to, you know, broadening your horizons a bit. I've got a few in mind. Yeah. I think that's what I need because otherwise if you're too familiar with a film you want a challenge yeah alright well the next one's not going to be too challenging but uh, it's certainly one that I want to watch again so with that in mind let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with what we're watching next time Okay, what we're watching next time. Before we sat down and switched the mics on, we were talking about TV channel, Talking Pictures TV, mm. which is on Freeview as well as Sky and UTV and other things. Sky 343, Freeset yep. 306, UView 81 and Virgin Media 445. There's your advert for Talking Pictures TV, guys. There you go. If you like to sponsor us. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was saying to Tony because... I've got a lot of these sort of things on DVD and stuff like that, and, and you're finding it difficult to get hold of copies of some of the stuff without paying out for, you know, physical media. I suggested that perhaps we sort of resort to looking at some of the stuff that Talking Pictures TV are showing because you can DVR it and watch it yeah. as and when. So I had a couple in mind, and looking through the schedules, this one's coming up, and it was on last night. And I deliberately didn't watch it because I thought, no, I want to watch this and, and review it with you because I haven't seen it for a while. Mm. It's from 1960. Right. It's directed by our old friend Basil Dearden. Oh, right. Old Baz, who yeah. directed uh, The Man Who Haunted Himself. Yes. So this is one of his earlier ones. Starring Jack Hawkins, Nigel Patrick, Roger Livesey, Richard Attenborough, Brian Forbes, Terence Alexander, Norman Bird, Nanette Newman... David Lodge, there's lots and lots of famous, famous, famous faces. Yeah. It's a comedy crime thriller. Very, very famous film. It's The League of Gentlemen. Oh, okay. Not to be confused with, obviously, the the TV (laughs) series or The League of Extraordinary (laughs) Gentlemen. Or Sean Connery's last movie, which was The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The League of Gentlemen from 1960. 
It's on Talking Pictures TV later in the week, so make sure you record it. If not, I will get you a copy by hook or by crook. But I'm looking forward to this one. I haven't seen it for a while, but it is, a, from what I remember, a bloody fantastic film. It looks it. I'll just have a look. You have a look? look now, yeah. Some really famous people in it. Don't want to look too much into it until I've seen it. Okie doke. But yeah, no, no one. Yes. Okay, so that's what we're doing next time. Thanks again for coming over to the Balaban Sound Studio. Thank you for having me at the Balaban Studio. <laughs> in the lounge. Well, we'll probably do this in two weeks' time, so. Yeah. Yeah. Good to see you, mate. You take care. And you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Cheers. Tella. Bye-bye. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.